Danny Flexen, four seconds out. Delighted to be joined by living legend, Hall of Famer, new goatee wearer, it appears. Bob Arum, how are you doing today? Good, good, good. Great to see good. you. Sun's out, what the hell? You know, things could be a lot worse. You're looking rather trendy, I've got to say. It's taken a few years off you. Oh, yeah, it has. I mean, the beard really, really takes away a number of years, right? Yeah, it's I mean, stuff. I saw the UK uh, uh, directive, the British Board of Boxing Control. They're going to open up uh, without uh, uh, spectators. But there's one provision there that uh, uh, I, I got a challenge on. They said... Nobody over 70 is allowed. <laughs> I mean, how dare them? I'm sure that wasn't directed specifically at you, Bob. You're more than welcome. Well, I think I'm, you know, yeah, I know. I don't know. We'll I make an know. exception I for you. Check with the Brits. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, I guess that brings us on to the topic everyone's talking about. And that's from your point of view. When will boxing return and, and what will it look like? Well, you know, nobody knows anything for sure. But I'll tell you what we're working on. We're working on uh, uh, doing live boxing uh, starting in June, uh, maybe uh, mid-June, maybe earlier, uh, but certainly not before June. And uh, we have uh, worked out protocols, uh, which we've submitted uh initially to the Nevada Athletic Commission. And the reason Nevada is because they have a very careful commission, a very good medical staff, uh, and we want to clear it with them uh, because I don't want to open up and start doing boxing events where I'm going to put the health and safety at risk. Uh, so a lot of it requires testing, and uh, we are going to sanitize and uh, sterilize our gym so that the fighters who are in quarantine getting ready for these events without uh, spectators uh, can have the benefit of sparring in a safe, sane uh, way uh, and uh, test everybody who goes into this program uh, and then test them again. Uh, on the eve of the fight, whether it's at the weigh-in or even later, uh, before uh, they go out, uh, go into the room, getting ready to fight, uh, because uh, it requires to do this right uh, a test, a procedure where you get the answers back within five to fifteen minutes, and there are those tests now. How long do you expect the behind-closed-doors period to last before we'll start welcoming fans back to events? I, that I have no idea. That I Just the way Adam Silver uh, for the NBA and Goodall and Major League Baseball, I have no idea. The first step is let's get started. Let's get these events going. And then we'll get to the second next problem of how we welcome spectators in. Now, there, there are, are, you know, ways that can be done. I mean, for example, uh, what happens if it's required uh, outside arenas and outside stadium uh, to have 
hundred or a thousand of tents where people, before they could go in, have to be tested. And they get a little badge if they test negative. Let's assume you can get the test in quantity and the results back in five to 15 minutes. And people say, hey, that's crazy. How can you do an event for 50,000 people, you know, and test everybody? Well, you know, it wasn't so long ago when after 9-11, when uh, they said you can't go into an arena or a stadium without going through a, a security device. You can't get on a plane without going through uh, uh, um, a, a security advice that uh, to try that detected whether you had a gun or uh, another uh, or a bomb. Uh, that couldn't happen, they said. Well, it happened, and people got used to it, and it's a pain in the ass. You know, right now we think, hey, those were the glory days, waiting in line, going through security to get on a plane. At least you could go on a plane. Uh, but anything is possible. So that's one of the things that might be possible, as long as you got testing really cheap uh, and available in the millions and millions. And that can happen. That can happen. Another way is you don't allow uh, people to sit right next to each other. In other words, an arena that's seated 15,000 uh, 15, people, maybe you allow for 3,000 and you spread everybody out. Cool. A lot of ways to get this done. I want to ask you about some fights involving your guys specifically. And the first one that comes to mind is Lomachenko against Teofimo Lopez, which has obviously been postponed by the pandemic. I read an interview with Lopez earlier this week in which he said he's not interested in fighting with no crowd. What, what did you make of that? Well, I talked to Teofimo. I love him. He's a really lovely, lovely young man, great fighter. And I said, Teofimo, the choice is not whether you want to do a fight with spectators or without spectators. You don't have that choice now. The choice is whether you want to do a fight or not do a fight. That's the choice. And when that came clear to him, he said, and you can see by the interviews he's given lately, that while he much prefers, as would most fighters, uh, to do a fight with spectators, if it is the choice is truly to do the fight without spectators or do no fight, he would opt to do it with spe without spectators. Jamil Herring against Carl Frampton, a fight that was agreed before the shutdown. Um, the guys are now talking about perhaps having interim fights before they clash. Is that right? That might very well be the case because, uh, you know, we have a real problem uh, in the UK. Uh, uh, they would probably not be able to do events in the foreseeable future uh, with spectators. So to send Herring over to the UK to do that fight without spectators makes no sense. On the other hand, they discussed with us, uh, Frank Warren did, uh, having Frampton come to the United States to fight Herring. The problem with that is, is Frampton can't get in because of the travel ban. Uh, 
So again, maybe the easiest thing to do is to give Frampton a fight in the UK against some Brit and Herring a fight in the United States without spectators against the good contender. And hopefully they'll both be successful. And then when spectators are allowed, hopefully later this year in the winter, they can do that fight. Another fight that was speculated upon and, and hasn't yet come to fruition in terms of an agreement is a unification fight at featherweight between Shakur Stevenson and Josh Warrington. Just from your perspective, why has that failed to, to come together? Well, the same situation. I mean, we were all, you know, we, we had the roadmap plan. We were talking with James Prince, uh, the manager of uh, Shakur, uh, about after Shakur did the fight in uh, Madison Square Garden, which was scheduled for March 14th, assuming he won that fight, uh, we would go right into a fight with Warrington over in England. Uh, which um, uh, Eddie Hearn would promote, co-promote with us, but would handle the promotion. Uh, and we were discussing the purse uh, that Stevenson would receive for that fight. So again, uh, coronavirus interfered with that plan. And hopefully by the end of the year, uh, we'll be able to do a, Stevenson Warrington fight. And the big guy, of course, Tyson Fury, um, who you co promote with Frank Warren, he has got a fight on the books. He's one of the fortunate few. Uh, the third fight with Deontay Wilder set for October. How confident are you that goes ahead in October? Not confident at all. But again, I'm not uh, Dr. Fauci, you know, our medical expert in the United States. Uh, I don't have any medical background. So I have no idea when we will be able to do these fights with spectators. Uh, October seems to me, seems to me to be a little optimistic, right? Is it possible? Yes. But if, let's say, we learn that you can't do it in October, but November and December is possible. and Top Rank and uh, ESPN and uh, Fox would come together and choose an alternate date. In other words, we are now in an era of a lot of uncertainty, which is not the usual uncertainty that you have in boxing with promoters and fighters scheming for an advantage. This is an uncertainty based on forces beyond our control. So we all have to be adults and we have to work together uh, to get solutions. Now, we know that uh, our colleagues at MTK, that great organization uh, that does fights around the world that's headquartered in the Mideast, is now working with the Saudis as far as doing uh, a maybe next year, maybe later this year, a Joshua Fury fight, which they want to do. Uh, and also MTK tells us 
that they're getting uh, offers uh, from other middies places like Qatar, uh, the Emirates. Uh, so a lot of things are going to open up. How soon they open up and in which way they're going to open up, we'll have to see. But rest assured, it's going to require the cooperation of all the promoters, whether it's Frank Warren, uh, Eddie Hearn, uh, Al Heyman, and ourselves uh, working together uh, in, in fairness, uh, like colleagues, to get all of this done up and running. But I now sort of have the gut feeling that all of us are willing to work together, at least in the foreseeable future, uh, to get these events uh, happening. You mentioned the possibility of Joshua Fury there and perhaps taking place in the Middle East. What kind of talks have taken place thus far? Because there seem to be some disparity, people saying different things about whether there had been formal talks or whether there had not. Well, I know that Eddie had talks uh, with uh, Saudis, uh, with the prince there, because he actually promoted a fight uh, in Saudi Arabia uh, with the, as you know, with the Joshua uh, Ruiz fight. Sure. Uh, and I know that Eddie works closely uh, with MTK, as does Frank, as do we. And I think we're all uh, very ha confident uh, having uh, MTK handle the negotiations on behalf of all of us, uh, and all of our fighters uh, to see what the best proposal is for doing that fight and other fights. Excellent. I want to ask you as well about Terence Crawford. Um, the most recent rumours indicate he may fight Kell Brook next. How, how likely is that? Well, again, how do you do a Crawford-Kell Brook fight uh, in the UK without without spectators and you can't do it as as of now in the united states because we have a travel ban uh, uh you know all of that will will go away uh crawford has suddenly become in great demand uh i know that uh, pacquiao uh has talked about fighting him uh certainly Sh uh, porter has uh but I think we will need uh, to perhaps wait for those fights until we can do them with spectators. Economically, it'd be very hard to do a Crawford, major Crawford fight uh, without uh, the revenue from a live gate. In the current boxing landscape, who do you view as your principal competitor? Well, I think, you know, I think uh, uh, Al Heyman uh, with PBC. Uh, I think that uh, uh, Eddie Hearn with uh, uh, Matchroom and Frank Warren uh, are all competitors. That doesn't mean we can't, uh, as competitors, work together on promotions 
and make them successful. I think Hal and uh, we uh, proved that uh, in the uh, second uh, uh, Wilder Fury fight, where we worked uh, seamlessly uh, to make that event uh, the great event that it became, uh, thanks to, of course, ESPN and Fox working with us. I think you're going to see in the future promoters who are competitors work together. You know, that's nothing new. Uh, back in the old days, uh, there, were n- there was no greater competition than Don King and myself. But look how many great fights we worked together uh, that became uh, huge events. I note that you didn't mention Golden Boy there. Do you feel their power may be declining? I don't know about power declining. They have uh, a, a fighter who is probably the biggest draw card uh, in North America in Canelo. Uh, and they do a good job putting on fights. Uh, but uh, we haven't, and we've worked a lot with them. In other words, we've done a lot of fights with them and so forth. Uh, but they do not, unlike the other uh, promoters, don't really have any role in the heavyweight division. We do with uh, Fury and some of our other fighters. Eddie does with Joshua and his fighters. Frank is involved with us as a co-promoter of uh, Fury. And uh, Al uh, has um, uh, Wilder and some other top heavyweights. But Golden Boy really hasn't done anything particular in the heavyweight division. And so uh, uh, I left them out in the talk about, you know, working together. But Golden Boy and Top Rank have uh, very recently done a lot of fights together and we will continue to do so. A Hall of Fame promoter, you've been involved in some of the biggest fights that we've ever seen. What are your remaining ambitions in boxing? Just to to stay alive. (laughs) You're doing well at that. (laughs) And you to do this. You know, I enjoy it. Uh, It's fun to do the big fights. I'm just so thankful we got in under the wire uh, with the second uh, Wilder Fury fight. Uh, February 22nd, the curtain went down shortly thereafter, you know, a few weeks later. Uh, But uh, when the curtain goes up, I think you're going to see tremendous excitement in boxing, great events, a lot of buzz. You know, I want to say something about that. Uh, You know, in this period where we haven't been able to do fights, uh, we uh, furnished ESPN with a lot of our classic fights, you know, Leonard and Hagler and uh, Oscars fights and uh, uh, and others, uh, Morales. Uh, and the ratings for some of these fights have been even bigger than the ratings we got for the live fights. So that shows that there's an inherent interest that remains in the sport of boxing particularly in the United States. Uh, In England, uh, that interest in boxing 
in the UK hasn't waned. I mean, it's very, I mean, uh, what's happening in the UK prior to coronavirus, uh, boxing was more robust uh, than it's been in over 50 years uh, where I've been involved. Uh, but in the, in the United States, some of the interest had waned. That was clearly the case, whether it was UFC or whatever. Uh, but I think now when people have again uh, re uh, immersed themselves in boxing, watching these great classics, uh, that uh, there'll be tremendous interest in boxing once we're up and running uh, with live fights. That must have brought back some great memories for you as well, opening up the archive and seeing some of those back. Well, now great memories is, is bizarre, you know. I mean, I remember I was a, a lot younger man <laughs> in those days, and so we had uh, a lot of fun that young people are used to, and when you get older, uh, not so much. Uh, so, yeah, brought back some tremendous memories. And just before I let you go, just tell us about how you're living at the moment, day to day, with all the restrictions imposed because of the pandemic. Well, you know, uh, I, I, I live in, in Las Vegas and also have a home in uh, Beverly Hills, California. And so in the beginning or middle March, before I was supposed to go to New York, a trip that was canceled when they took down the shows that were going to be in Madison Square Garden, we flew, my wife and I flew to our house uh, in Los Angeles, and uh, we've been here ever since. So it means that you uh, can go out walking, you can exercise. I have a swimming pool that when the weather is nice, I can go swimming. Uh, you get up. In the morning, you make calls around the world. You talk to people. Uh, you get to know people a lot better than you did before because they have nothing else to do. So they like to keep you on. And we exchange text messages and everything. And in the afternoon, uh, you sit outside and you watch television uh, and. Uh, then it comes time for maybe you go swimming and then it comes time in the evening, you have dinner and then you watch the most magnificent stuff that you would never have watched uh, on these streaming services. I became, and, and funny enough, uh, my, the guy who touts me the most because so much of great stuff that I've never watched came out of England. Uh, uh, is Warren. Warren apparently is a great uh, follower of, of English uh, television, of yeah. series. So, uh, you know, we've watched, uh, my wife and I, a whole series of Line of Duty and now uh, watching uh, the young Helen Mirren in Prime what Suspect. Yeah. I mean, that's great, great stuff that I never would have you know, under ordinary circumstances, because you go out at night, that you would ever watch. So it's not all bad. And there's a lot of great, you know, current stuff. Fowder, the Israeli series, we had watched the first two seasons, and we just watched the third. 
I mean, that's great. Uh, a lot of really rich uh, HBO has uh, 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 the plot against America, which Philip Roth uh, novel, which was tremendous. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of really really good stuff. My brilliant friend is a classic, an Italian classic that you never would have had time to watch that. And now you, everybody, that's what you're talking to people about. Hey, have you watched this? What did you think of this show? Uh, so it's really great. I mean, that part is great. I mean, you're not going to uh, want to go back to work, Bob. What? You're not going to want to go back to work. Well, that's true. I mean, it's going to be hard. How do you? How do you? You 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 not watch this stuff at night? No, but uh, I mean, all this is diversion, and it's not bad. But there's nothing like going back to work, putting together boxing matches, uh, and watching. Uh, some of these great athletes perform. Brilliant. Well, Bob, really appreciate your time. Going to let you go. You've got another four series of uh, Line of Duty to go, so don't want you to miss out. Yeah, I don't know. Have we, have we haven't seen all yet? No, I don't know. I think How many have you seen? Everything. Everything that they had, we've watched. Oh, okay. And, and Prime Suspect, I think they had four seasons. We're in the third now. Excellent. Really good, good stuff. Well, enjoy it. Frank's obviously got good taste. Frank has good taste, yeah. Brilliant. Well, stay safe, and we look forward to catching up with you again once boxing's back in the saddle. Okay, good talking to you. Thank you. Take care, Bob. It was a pleasure.